Thanks again for listening to these weekly conversations between myself and Dr. Dan Owen. Conversations with Dan is an outreach and teaching ministry of the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. You can find us online through most of the major social media sites or through our website, broadwaycoc.com. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our part two discussion conversation of Dan about elders. And conversation with old Jed. I'm always here, too. Very thankful for the opportunity. So last time we got, which is last time to y'all a couple of weeks ago, it's, you know, moments ago for us. We're just continuing the role here. But we were talking about appointing, like numerically appointing elders and deacons. We Mm -hmm. talked about uh, having to work with people through their tough times all these other little things, but when it came down to it, we hadn't really discussed much about the actual process of appointing elders in our congregations. Mm -hmm. Maybe what are the qualifications, what's the process, and so that's where, knowing that we've had a lot of questions about that, that's where we wanted to go today, look at some biblical basis for these things. All right, so again, if you go to Exodus 18. Okay. Starting there again. By the way, if you haven't watched part one, pause the video. We'll still be here. Yeah, go watch that. Go watch part one, then join us for this one. All right. Back in Exodus 18. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Where do you want to start? So if you go to Exodus 18, verse 19, and read through 21. Okay. There it says, Now obey my voice. I will give you, lose my place, I will give you advice and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they would walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and of tens. All right, this is Moses' father-in-law's command to Moses for what Moses needs to do. Mm -hmm. So Moses was going to look for these men, and I presume he probably used other people to help him look for these men, Mm -hmm. but then he was going to appoint those men Moses was going to appoint those men over thousands, hundreds, yeah. fifties, etc. All right, and he did what his father commanded. Father-in-law commanded. Look at verse twenty-five. He chose yeah. capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people. Okay. So you got Moses doing that. Then, if you go to Exodus thirty. Eight? Nope. Let's see. Wait a minute. Uh-oh. I always get this confused. Yeah, 28. 28. And 29. This is where God commanded the priest to be appointed. Okay. And Moses brought them before the congregation. And if you look at verse twenty or chapter 29, mm-hmm. this is what you are to do to consecrate them so that they may be priests. Yeah. So Moses publicly brings the priests and he takes them through this ceremony and mm-hmm. he appoints these guys to be priests. Right. Because God commanded him to do it. Mm-hmm. And but, they fit the qualifications yeah, based on family qualification, lineage and all yeah, this other Aaron stuff. Yeah, Aaron and his son. Yeah. And so he appoints them in front of the people. Okay. So 
then if you go to Numbers chapter 27. Okay. And about verse 15 starting, I think. Read there. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom the Spirit and lay, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. All right, now think about this. That sounds remarkably like what was said about the seven in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. full it of was. the Spirit and wisdom. Yeah. It sounds remarkably like what Moses' father-in-law said about those men mm-hmm. that Moses was going to appoint. Yeah, men who feared God and didn't want bribes and all yeah, that sort of and, stuff. And notice there that in the end of verse 17, they're going to they're gonna be shepherding the people. He's going to be shepherding the people. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a shepherd. This sounds familiar. It does. And so you're going to lay hands on him. Now go down to verse uh, 22 and 23 there. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation. He laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. All right, so you have here the ordination or consecration of a person to lead by laying on of hands. Hmm. And this, you know, was done uh, by Moses in the Old Testament. And um, if you go to the New Testament, okay, and you go to Mark chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter six. I was about to say I was not expecting a stop in Mark. No. <laughs> Acts chapter six. Yep. Okay. Let's look carefully at what the apostles said there when they had this problem with feeding those. Mm-hmm. Greek-speaking widow women. Look at verse 3. Let's see. Yeah? Yep. Therefore, brothers, pick up, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parnaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. All right, so the so they said, look out for men who are this way, and um, we mm-hmm. will turn this responsibility over to them. So the apostles are going to oversee the process of, you guys are going to suggest some people to us, and then the apostles, verse 6, laid their hands on these people, mm-hmm. and I take that to mean they publicly ordained them as ministers to feed these Grecian okay. widows, letting people know that these men have been, they have been, uh, they have agreed, and we have been asked them to do this, and we're putting them in this role, and you recognize that we're putting them in this role. Yeah, okay. So it's usually a public ordination. Yep. Like it's not done in secret or anything. Right. And then I guess we've seen this laying on of hands. Yeah. Is that some like power transfer or is that no, just part it, of the physical? It was a it, it was a, a way of, well, if, if you go back to Numbers 27, it tells you what it is. 
Okay. Numbers chapter 27. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Yep. And you say, what are you going to Numbers for? Because this thing has a greater history than just in the New Testament. Right, right. Uh, look at Numbers 27, 19. Okay. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregations, and you shall commission him in their sight. One more verse. You shall invest him with some of your authority, that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. So what was happening was Moses, by laying on of hands, was showing Moses' approval and desire that this man should be in this position and mm. have this authority. Okay. So you have a powerful spiritual leader who is laying hands on this person in front of everybody to show that this is a person and I believe in this person and I'm praying God's mm. blessings on this person as they carry out this role. Not specifically like his spirit, some no. supernatural investment is being passed along. No. Okay. Not that God didn't put his spirit in Joshua, but that's not what the laying on of hands is about. Gotcha. Okay. So we've seen this kind of consistent power transfer, basically, appointing mm -hmm. of people, bringing them up for specific positions. Mm -hmm. And now we've seen it happen for deacons here in Acts chapter 6, as we would now call them in, you know, ministers mm -hmm. within the church. And if you go back to Acts 14, where you were a little while ago with Paul and um, Barnabas, mm -hmm. Saul and Barnabas. Yep. And if you go to verse 23... It says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, the English word appointed is the Greek word kairotoneo. Kairotoneo. Kairos means hands. Okay. Have you ever heard of a chiropractor? Yes. That means he uses his hands hmm. on you. Kairotoneo. It means to appoint by laying on of hands. Hmm. That's what that word means right there. Okay. So Saul and Barnabas saw these men that were qualified in these churches, and they mm -hmm. took these men and put them before whatever congregation, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, Antioch, yeah. Pisidia. They laid hands on those men and appointed them before the people to show the people that yeah. these men have accepted this work, and we are... We are trusting these men to do that. It gave the, you know, some some impetus to that, that they weren't just saying, hey, we're going to be elders. Yeah. There was recognized spiritual leadership that appointed them as elders. So if you were reading that verse in your translation and it said, and when they had laid hands on them in every church, that wouldn't be some strange Well, usage. it's more than that. It's appointing by laying on of hands. Okay. So that's what it means. Okay. All right, so then if you go over to um, 1 Timothy 5, mm -hmm. and you'll notice that the qualifications for elders were written in letters to evangelists. Yes. And uh, they were given to the evangelists, like Titus and Timothy, who were mm -hmm. going to appoint elders. Okay. All right, so... Um, we have a custom, I think, in in the United States where elders appoint elders, mm. and it's sort of a self-perpetuating thing. Yeah. But in the Bible, actually, 
evangelists appointed mm. elders, apostles and evangelists appointed elders. Yeah. And it certainly it would have been in conjunction with and in concert with and in conference with other spiritual leaders that were there. But um, if you look at 1 Timothy 5, okay. you have in verse 17, mm -hmm. uh, Paul gives instructions to Timothy about which elders should be given uh, financial support. And then he says in verse 19, and you have to watch these imperatives, do not, that's you singular, do not. Okay. That's you, Timothy, yeah. do not. Entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Hmm. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly. Then in verse 21, I charge you in the sight of God, that's the you singular, mm -hmm. keep these instructions, you, Timothy, without partiality. Verse 22, you, Timothy, do not be hasty in, in the, the laying on of hands. There's that phrase. So Timothy is the one who's going to appoint them, and that he should not be hasty mm. in doing it, but should make sure he's being careful and trying to appoint men that are truly qualified according to the Scripture. Yeah. Now, he would be crazy if he didn't sit down and talk with the other spiritual leaders in Ephesus and say, all right, let's talk about these. And he presents the scriptures, and they all talk about the scriptures, and they agree, you know. But mm -hmm. still you have the, the precedent here of that's the way it worked. And that is not, like you say, that is not the tradition that we typically follow within our congregations. It's, it's an interesting that we don't, isn't it? I guess without going too far off the rabbit trail, any, like, reasons why we typically don't do that that come up most often i know you do lots I, of i suppose you would have uh how they've always done it basically in certain areas being the thing that drives most things yeah uh but again you know on in titus you have i left you in crete you titus to ordain yeah. elders in every place hmm. so um timothy and titus some people would say timothy and titus must have been inspired by god and thus different hmm from other evangelists, but I don't know that you could prove yeah. that. Because then that would basically be saying they were the only evangelists The only evangelists that ever. could ever do it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we've got this situation, like I would toss a guess that maybe there's a, a concept of the ministers don't stick around as long. Mm, interesting, why? I don't know. <laughs> you do <laughs> Maybe because ministry is seen more as an employment instead of a vocational calling. Interesting. And so who hires? Elders who those? preach and teach were supposed to be supported financially. Ah, and we don't do that very often either. Right. It's done some, but not very often. Yeah. So people can be both ministers and elders. Yeah. In fact, we uh, typically see kind of a division not a division of labor, but a division of distinction almost Yes, between those two things. Um, and then, of course, this brings you in naturally to the discussion of not only the appointment of elders, mm -hmm. but possibly the dismissal of elders. And how would that be handled? So maybe to get into that, just so that we can put it on screen and people can pick through it, where do we typically go for what are the qualifications of well, you'd look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 mm -hmm. for the qualifications. Yeah. And you would also look at 
if you look over at Acts 20. Okay. And in Acts 20, it says the Holy Spirit made you bishops. Mm. And I think what he means there is that what, what evangelists did was simply recognize what the Holy Spirit was doing in the life of certain men if they were really caring for souls, if they were mm -hmm. exhibiting Christian character, if they were uh, managing their family and households well, all that kind of stuff. So the evangelists, along with other leaders, would recognize that this man is really a spiritual man and really wants to sh care for souls and everything. Yeah. And so he would be appointed. But if you read Acts 20 and start about verse 27 uh, and read down through 31, Okay. Uh, let's see. So this is, this is Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. Yeah. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in and among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. All right, so verse 30 mm -hmm. seems to suggest, and by the way, in verse um, 28 and following where he says, be shepherds of the church of God, mm -hmm. and all the, these, these imperatives are plural. So it's a they, you all. They are talking to the eldership, the group of elders, see? Okay. And so he says, even from your own number, men shall arise. Mm. So he's telling them to police their own number. Yeah. And to to be be ready to rebuke and change those in their own number if that needs to be done. Because even if you have a man that you have now seen is growing in the fruit of the spirit has been, you know, trying to make his calling and election. Sure. Using that language of, you know, Galatians and Peter and all that sort of stuff. Even among those men, they're not now immune from sin and temptation. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, you know, you might even go back to that's on the back end. If an elder sins. And of course, first Timothy five says, if an elder sins, Mm. rebuke him in the sight of all so that the rest may fear but that case would be if an elder's in an actual sin that you would have to do like matthew 18 and yeah. you know the 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 other elders or ministers they say here it is and we confront you with it and if the guy changes and it's fine you know if not then he's going to have to follow the matthew 18 course and perhaps be yeah put out but let's say that that you're going to appoint elders, and there's really not a question of sin. Okay. Um, it's really not about Matthew 18. Yeah. If you go to um, 1 Timothy 3, for example, mm -hmm. there are lots of things in there that, that have nothing to do with sin, necessarily, that yeah. are qualifications of elders. Start right. with three one and just read a few verses there. Sure. Uh, the say, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Right, let's, let's stop right there. What if, what if the guy doesn't have a great reputation in the community and people say stuff about him that may be derogatory about business practices or moral behavior, but you can't put a finger on any of it. 
Hmm. So it's more just he He's, didn't give a good feeling. Well, no, he may have a bad reputation in the community. Okay. Nothing specifically wrong, just not necessarily upstanding. Is that kind of what we're getting at? Reproach means you're accused of things mm. in the community. Okay. All right, so go down. Does it say something in there about he's a teacher? Uh, let's continue. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Uh, stuff about managing his own household. If someone does not know how to manage his own household. Okay, so what if he's a yeah. really good guy and he doesn't manage his house well? What if his kids are wild and riotous and not subject to him, but he's not a bad guy at all? He's a good guy. Yeah. It's not about sin. Right. He just... He doesn't meet the qualification. Okay. All uh, right. Back up to the first part of that where you, I think you skipped the one about he's a teacher. I did. It's right there. Respectable, hospitable, able to teach. All right. That's a key one there. Didacticon <laughs> or didacticos, that, that word means he's a skilled teacher. Okay. And the best commentary on it is Titus 1.9 where he says he's able to exhort in the sound teaching and convict those that speak against it. Mm. So you have to have some some skill in the word in yeah. order to do that. He can't be a novice in the Bible. Yeah. He's got to be a skilled Which teacher. also goes to that verse 6, not a recent convert. Right. So Right. Yeah. So so there are several things in there. You know, gentle. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some people that are somewhat harsh and everything in mm -hmm. their character. They're they're not gentle. That doesn't necessarily mean they hit people or they've done, you know, yeah. but if he has, does not have that character, then see, there are things in there that are not sin. Okay. These are things that... It's almost more just general character of someone, but not yeah. mor morality. It's not necessarily morality. So you see, the Matthew 18 passage doesn't have anything to do with those. Mm. That's only if somebody is, is in a sin. So like, as a for instance, we're going, you know, not we're going through it here, but let's say your congregation is going through the process of appointing elders. Mm -hmm. And there's someone that, you know, there's nothing wrong with the person. Again, they, they're not a sinful person. Mm -hmm. And they have a decent family. They seem to fit it. But there's some of these things that you as an individual go, yeah, but they're not living up to the standards that I see written out here. Maybe they're not as hospitable. Maybe I know that their reputation in the community isn't so good. Should you feel bad, like, saying I'm not comfortable with that person being an elder? I don't think so, especially if it's a, if it's a generally recognized characteristic. Um, you know, think of elders' responsibility to, to make sure that, that – the church is not being taught false teaching. Yeah. But if if the elders does doesn't know anything about the Bible really, mm -hmm. and can easily be led away and misled, you know. Yeah. Then great guy, and you know, make him a deacon, feeding widows, but don't appoint him uh, mm -hmm. a watchman over the flock. Okay. He's not qualified. Yeah. Because I think sometimes when we get into that discussion of well, there are some non-sin calls to make about someone yes people feel bad about saying this is about spiritual leadership hmm. it's not about a board of decision makers this is about spiritual leadership yeah. these are spiritual qualities so it's not just you're a good person not it's, no it's not that 
strong spiritual. There's all kinds of good people that aren't qualified to be elders. Okay. And so then, I mean, I guess how far do we want to go with discussion of how we, you know, if it's not, like let's say our congregation isn't comfortable with the evangelist, the preacher being the one to appoint, and we're doing, how far do we go down the line of, was it? Well, then I guess, and you would have to ask why, but then I guess, what is the discussion and what would be their rationale of ignoring several of those qualifications to appoint a man? Hmm. Uh, do they have the right to ignore those since Paul gave them by inspiration Yeah. and told Timothy, even in 1 Timothy 5, what is it, 22 or 3, that do not be hasty yeah. laying hands on anybody and appointing them an elder. So. so if your congregation used to have five elders and they dropped down to one or two, Man, we got to hurry up and get elders. You know, we're, we're, yeah. Is that, <laughs> I don't think that's a good yeah. reasoning. I don't think that's a good reasoning either. That yeah. was the setup. So there's a lot more questions that could be answered here, but um, let's sweep it up into a pile. And that is that the word elder means leader. Mm-hmm. And particularly the way it's used in, in uh, most of the Old and New Testament, it had to do with, People, whatever their role, that had spiritual responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Kings, prophets, priests, elders of the Jews, local church elders. Yeah. You know. And so the real point of the qualifications is in verse 14 and 15 of 1 Timothy 3. Okay. 14, 15, 1 Timothy 3. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. All right, so the reason elders, deacon, and women who serve in the church need to be the way those qualifications say is because they and their lives and conduct is a pillar and buttress Mm -hmm. of the truth that we teach. Yeah. So if their example in their life is inconsistent with what we're teaching, that degrades that causes the strength a problem, of the church. See? And yeah. that's, really, that's really the summary verse of that chapter that puts the whole mm. thing into perspective. Yeah. So we're looking for people who will literally hold up the local body. Yeah, their, their life is holding up what the church teaches. Yeah. Okay. Not, not detracting from it. Now, we're not getting into how to then, you know, what congregationally we should do and how long an elder serves and all those other things. Just because there's not a lot yeah. scripturally to go through on that. Yeah, lives change, and sometimes great evangelists fall into sin or turn away from God mm-hmm. or get their focus wrong, and it's all about money, and it's not about, you know, and they, they cease being great evangelists. They don't just get to be evangelists because they said one time they were evangelists. Yeah. The same exact thing can be true for elders if if satan enters into Mm -hmm. their life or if they turn away from their directives or if they become things that do not describe in those things then they don't need to be elders anymore yeah so those are never fun situations to get into but even the bible knew that they would happen like the Mm -hmm. writers the apostles and and their inspired knowledge knew that things wouldn't be perfect for forever and and strictly practically speaking I think it's a very good thing many times for congregations for their eldership, maybe when they appoint a couple of new elders that 
All of the elders stand for reaffirmation, and if people have objections, they can present those, and so everybody gets to look at themselves again, and the congregation does, and the mm. congregation can reaffirm that these are the men we want us we want to serve. That's a healthy thing, yeah. And it can engender a lot of trust between the congregation and the eldership. So, yeah, might think about that. And it's more, again, there's those practical select, uh, suggestions that could be made and practices that you can put in place. But I know a lot of questions that typically come in are related to those, well, how do we, you know... How do we do this yeah. exactly? Yeah. What, how do, what does this meeting look like? What does this service look like? What does, you know, yeah. this casting of a ballot even look like in some mm -hmm. cases? We don't have a lot of guidance on that. Yeah. So, you know... If you ever write in about those things, we may respond with some helpful advice, but we can't really say, well, this is biblically what it says to do. But mm -hmm. hopefully we've addressed some of the passages that do talk biblically about this That's question. right. That's right. Hopefully so. Yeah. So this is the end of part two. I know that this did not address every question we have gotten in on this subject, but we tried to address as many of them as possible. And hopefully it's helpful and keep the questions, the comments coming. Because if this role is to, you know, the role is to support the congregations, to spiritually guide them, lead them through. Then it's very important. It is valuable beyond even maybe what we realize a lot of times. Absolutely. So hopefully we'll continue looking into this biblically and appreciating it for what it was supposed to be mm -hmm. and is for that. Amen. Matter. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time. We've all got questions about the Bible and Christianity. Some of us are Christians and want to know how best to live for God and show our love for Him. Some of us are curious about what it means to follow Jesus. And some of us are skeptical of the idea of religion in general. Whatever your background, we invite you into these conversations that strive to take an honest look at what the Bible has to say on a wide variety of subjects. Each week, we will discuss questions that have been sent in from all around the world and try to find truth and practical application in God's Word. If you have any questions or follow-up comments, contact us anytime by emailing info at broadwaycoc.com. I'm Jed Lovejoy, and these are Conversations with Dan.